this morning, um, I want to tell you that um, this may be as exciting as watching paint dry. Uh, what I'm going to share with you this morning, at least the initial part, uh, we're going to talk about money in the church. Uh, sorry if you forgot about that. If you get up, I'll know why. Um, and you'll be forever marked uh, as one of those type people. Uh, ushers, keep those uh, um, offering baskets ready to go. We're going to take about two or three offerings during this time after each point. Uh, just keep moving them around. No, I'm just kidding you. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about money. And I'd like to start out by just updating you where we are at financially as a church. And... Um, I'm, I've never done this before, but you, you're excited to share with me. I have a PowerPoint presentation. You guys excited? I made it myself, too. That's what's really impressive. I want to hit the first slide. The first slide, and uh, Eric Gifford saved the day. Uh, check this out. You know, I even have a, a laser pointer. Uh, Eric Gifford saved the day. Bozers don't have enough laser pointers at their house. I don't know why that is. You have three boys. You'd think they'd at least have one. Uh, what we first have here is the yearly giving for the last three years. And uh, this is as you give in your offering, as we pass our baskets weekly, uh, this is what happens to it. This is the, the pile of money uh, that has been collected that God has provided uh, for the last three years. And not to, you all can read, uh, you can see that those three numbers are very similar very similar for the last three years. I want to highlight you. There's two words. We call it giving. We call it giving. Most of our reports say giving. And as I was thinking about this, we might need to be changing that that wording. Uh, We see it as giving. Uh, We are giving to the Lord. Uh, And yet what it really is, is God providing, God providing. And so I've put in bold letters there, God's provision. It's interesting, and we'll talk about it later, um, that this is what God does. He is a God of provision. Uh, We think we are doing it, but ultimately He is doing it. And as we see Him work, we see Him provide. You can go to the next slide, please. The next slide here um, is our yearly spending for the last three years. And you'll see 2011 is about 480 uh, 2012 is about 480, and then 2013. Um, forgive me for doing these high math problems here, but uh, our yearly spending uh, was about 502,000, and then we also have this number right here, which was really a deferred amount. We had some ideas of things that we would spend. We did not spend it; we saved it. So it comes up as spending, but it really wasn't spending. It was just moved to a different envelope, if you can see it that way. Um, and so that number is 495. Once again, uh, pretty similar numbers uh, for the last three years. W- what are those? What do those numbers tell you? Um, as you're thinking about, some of you are thinking too hard on this already. You're going, I, I, I'm a financial whiz, and I'm going to figure this out. And you know what it tells us? is that God has provided for his church. God has provided for his church. Um, As you see that, you you wonder, you go, uh, why? Why did God provide for the church? And I'll answer it by saying this. I don't know why he provided for this church. 
I, I look at, there's plenty of reasons why he shouldn't provide, and yet his name is at stake, and so that's why he does. And, and this is what he did. He's provided for his church. Uh, if you go to the next slide, this is a kind of, uh, and some of this is just informational, so you'll understand a little bit better. You, you look at this column right here, it says general, and I put number one. Uh, we do this in our own finances, many of you. You have uh, kind of a checking account and a savings account. You have the things that you're paying your bills out of and the things that you're putting away for a special purpose. That's kind of the general is the the month-to-month um, -month bills. And that's where your giving goes. And the restricted is an account that uh, we use for many different things. We have a, a building fund, things that we're going to use uh, in the future if something goes wrong with the building. We have some missions money, not the missions money that we usually spend, but like for special occasions where people go out maybe on a summer trip or we give uh, presents from time to time to our missionaries. We also have uh, uh, youth accounts that have to do with camps and uh, in and out accounts and such like that. That's our restricted accounts. I almost blinded myself. Um, but the general account is, is, is the account where our monthly giving goes into. And these numbers right here reflect how much money we had in the bank in our general account at the end of each year. At the end of each year. And you'll see that uh, 59, 72, 54. And that 54, really, if you remember from our last slide, if you added the money that we didn't spend, that we acted like we spent it, uh, it would make that number like 61 or so. Uh, anyways, uh, that plus these restricted accounts, this is the total amount of money that Bear Valley Church had in its accounts at the end of each year. And it looks kind of about the same for the last three years again. So that's where we are financially. This next slide is my favorite slide, okay? Mostly because I made it. This is the first chart. If you like charts, uh, I made this chart. I'm really proud of myself. The red line right here, the red line is the monthly giving, uh, January, February, each month um, for 2011, and then you can see for 2012 is yellow. And then for 2013 is a bluish color. I know we're struggling with light. Don't even look. That one looks better this service. I don't know. Last service, this one. Anyways, um, when, for, for those of you who understand how to read charts, uh, what can you deduce from that chart right there? December giving is good. And besides that, not much. Not much. What was going on uh, right here? Why was that so low? That was a snow day. Snow month. We'd love it again. What was going on right here? Uh, what was going on right here? What was going on right there and right there? And then you got these three right there. Uh, the answer, the technical answer is this. I don't know. I don't know. Um, as we look at it, we see this, we, we see patterns. Maybe the December is the only thing that we can see. And even as we go back farther, uh, sometimes that's true. And sometimes that isn't, uh, that's where our finances are. And I want to just recap. I don't have a slide for this because I think it's, uh, meaningless to have a slide like this, but where we're at financially is this. Uh, we have about $54,000 in our general account, general account. And then 
we have a facility here that is debt-free. So we have $54,000 in the bank. We have a facility that's debt-free. And we look upon a very uncertain future. Very uncertain future. And you say, well, why do I say that? Because it is. Because it is. And you say, well, is something big happening that I don't know about? No. But that's what I'm saying. I have a brother-in-law who's a financial planner, and he gathered some of his high-dollar clients together. And he, uh, he did a dinner, and he uh, hired this guy to come in, this economist, to come and talk about the economy. And, uh, and he got back from the dinner, and I said, so what did the guy say? I'm interested. What did he say? And he goes, well, um, he sees quite a bit of volatility out in the future. And I said, I could have told you that. That's not, that's ridiculous to say that there's uncertainty in the future. Of course there is. And so where we are sitting financially, we're thankful for what God has provided. And yet as we look out on the horizon, we know that we don't know what's going to happen. And so that's where we are financially. This morning, I want to leave really that, those issues, those details That's good skills when you can go, see that, that number right there? Um, we, I told you, I'm impressed with myself that I'm uh, branching out with technology. Uh, uh, right now, I want to go from that until what we need to know about money from God's Word. If you go to the next slide, please. Um, the, the first thing I want to share with you, and some of these things are just going to be review for you, but others... It may challenge your thinking and and cause you to ask the question, do I think this way? God provides for his church. God provides. Um, When you see that, do you believe it? Or do you believe that we are doing it? I know that as men, especially, and others that are feeling self-sufficient, they say, I make things happen. I do it. I'm smarter and I get smarter and I'm smarter than my peers and I make things happen in life. And yet, uh, as we look at God's word, and I'll just recap this um, so we can move on. But in Genesis chapter 22, you see Abraham having this special son, the, uh, the son of promise. And that God had provided for him in a miraculous way of this son. And we knew that he was blessed and there was going to be this. And in chapter 22, you see God calling Abraham to go sacrifice his son. And Abraham, uh, undoubtedly a struggle in, in his inner being, his inner man, went in obedience. And he put his son on the altar and he went to go slay his son in obedience to God. And, and he, his hand was stayed by God himself and said, stop, don't lay a hand on the boy. And God provided a different sacrifice. And in Genesis chapter 22, it's this beautiful thing that Abraham said. In verse 14, he says, so Abraham called the name of that, that place, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And that is true throughout the scriptures. The Lord will provide. As you think about that, you think about, well, uh, 
the, the Lord provided. How did he provide? It wasn't, it, it wasn't in, in finances that he provided in Genesis 22. It was for his son. And it, it foreshadows and continues on the same idea that the Lord provides for us. And the greatest being in the Lord Jesus Christ. That he provides for our, our sin-sick, shriveled-up souls that needed him. Apart from him, uh, we would be dead in our sins. We'll get to that in a moment. But the Lord is the one who provides. That's true for Bear Valley Church. But it's also true in your home. In your home. What you need, uh, the provisions that you need, it comes from him. And so as it comes from him, we cry out to him, asking for him to provide for us. Next slide, please. Second thing I want to share with you regarding money is that all the money that we have is the Lord's. All of it is the Lord's. If you turn over to Psalm chapter 50, as we look at there, some, some of you may have heard this before, uh, have have you heard cattle on a thousand hills? Uh, as you look at Psalm chapter 50, this is where it's from. And it's good to be mindful of, especially in regards to money. Cattle on a thousand hills. Now, um, as we look at this passage, I want to read to you starting at verse 7. And this is all about God judging his people for uh, being unfaithful and wandering away from him. But this is what it says. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. He's acknowledging that he is over all. He is God. And not just that he is over all, but that he is in relationship with them. He is their God. Verse 8. Um, not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your fold. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness is mine. As I read that, a couple of things jump out to me. First of all, he says, I'm in relationship with you. I'm God and you're my people. I'm your God. But he, he immediately is talking about sacrifices and he's saying, it's not that your sacrifices haven't been brought. He, he says, but I want you to remember they're mine. They're mine. Some of you, as we read this passage, it sounds like a three-year-old, right? Mine, mine, mine. And you say, well, it sounds like God is thinking that everything's his and that he, he does think that, and he's right. Everything is his. It's interesting. I have a, a friend who uh, owns cattle, and I always want to go up to him and say, uh, God was telling me that one of that cow right there, he wants me to have it instead of you. He says that everything is his. 
Everything is his. And as we consider this, the last part where he says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Why? Because I don't need you to provide for me. Because it's all mine. Think about that. So often we picture God as one with hat in hand begging us. Please give to me. Please, I, I, I need your money. I need your time. I, I need your gifts. Because if you don't give to me, I'm going to go hungry. God says, let me, uh, let me explain to you how all this works. It's all mine. From the, the cattle on the hills to everything that you would have and need, it's mine. This is difficult for us to remember. Uh, tell me about your car. Tell me about your house. Tell me about your finances and your stuff. I don't loan out my stuff. I don't let anyone touch my car. I, th- this is my stuff. I've worked hard for it. And then read again, Psalm chapter 50. He says, it's all mine. What's important for us to remember as a church is that before stuff comes into your home, money, possessions, any kind of resource, it was God's. And then when it comes into your home, it's still God's. And then when you give it to Bear Valley Church, it's still God's. And then when we spend it again and it goes out again, it's still God's. There's no point in time where he says, I give up and it's yours now. It's his. It's super important for us to remember that when it comes to the issues of money. Um, for, after the first service, uh, someone left some ashes in their car and it burnt up uh, the back seat of their car. And um, they felt really bad and whatever. And so I went out there and I said, it's all going to burn anyways. Uh, but as I was bringing water, I thought that was funny. It was funny. It was funny, really. To me, it was. Uh, but um, God's car, God's car. It, it's his house. It's his church. It, it's, it's his land. And sometimes we feel like we have to convince him to take care of his stuff. It's his. And you say, well, you know, he, he's given it to us. He's entrusted not to, not to hold on to. God has given you his car. And he said, you can use it for a while. Take good care of it. He's given you a house that's his. He's loaned it to you. It's like a, a father would go to, hey, dad, can I borrow the car? Hey, dad, can I borrow the house? He says, sure, take good care of it. When the car breaks down, uh, it's God's car that broke down. <laughs> hey, God, what are you going to do with your car? Broke down. Looks like you're up a creek. And he, What are you going to do about that? He says, oh, simple. I'm going to have you walk. It's God's. It's God's stuff. From, from start to finish, it's his. It's important for us to remember that. Next slide, please. As we consider uh, these things, and hopefully these are all kind of coming together for you in your mind, 
Um, we need to trust him, not in money. If you turn over to First Corinthians, First Timothy, chapter six, I think I shared this with you um, in in December, just for a moment, uh, encouraging us about what it means for us to be generous. But if you if you look at this passage, First Timothy, chapter um, six, starting at verse seventeen. And I want to want to ask you the question: um, Are you rich this morning? Are you rich, or are you poor? Are you rich or are you poor? And you say, "Well, I'm kind of uh, middle class here." Just answer the question, okay? Are you rich or are you poor? Uh, think about it this way: Is Bear Valley Church a rich church or a poor church? You, you know our finances. Don't don't say you don't know. I put them up before you, and you say, "Well, you know." I've heard of other churches that have more money in the bank than I have too. In fact, in the last week, I heard of a church that has uh, about our size, has $400,000 in the bank. That's a lot of money, right? Similar situation. They have the building paid paid off. Uh, I went to a church. Um, that, I went to a church when I was in college that had about 30 people that would come on a Sunday. And in the bank, or I should say in a, a stock account, they had stocks and bonds worth over $1.7 million, okay? As well as a building paid off that was somewhere in the area of 15 to $20 million. And I was thinking I should uh, join the church just in case they ever folded and they dispersed the funds, uh, just a share per the 30 people. You do the math. That would have been great. Uh, I did not. Anyways, are we a rich church? Are we a rich people? The question is not how rich you are. The question is, is do you have funds at your disposal? And in... First Timothy, Paul is sharing with a young pastor, let me help you with the church. Let me help you shepherd the church. And he says these words. He says, as for the rich in this present age right now, if you're rich right now, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. As you look at that verse, what's, what does that teach us about money? Uh, I asked you if you're in good financial shape or bad financial shape right now. Um, if you're in good financial shape, most of the time, this is the way we look at life. Oh, we're fine. We're fine. We're set. We have a plan. We have a nest egg. We have a, a stockpile, if you will. We can handle the future because we have money. If you don't have money, what are you doing? You're sweating it, right? You know the bills are coming. Most of the time we know bills are coming. And we're like, oh, I don't want to look. I don't want to know. I, I, I'm fearful. I don't see how that's going to be paid. You're sweating and, and you're maybe even going, God, what am I going to do? God, what am I going to do? How are we going to do this? God, I don't know how I can. Um, and, but if you have money, are you crying out to the Lord like that? No. I got it. I got it. Why do you have it? Why? Because we're trusting in money. We're trusting in money. And you say, well, money, you can fix just about everything with money. I want you to notice in this verse, 
why it tells you you shouldn't trust money. Did you get it? The uncertainty of riches. The uncertainty of riches. And you say, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't believe that. Uh, riches are always good and you can depend on them. And some of you say, well, I, I've set up this fortress financially that I know we can't be touched in the future. Oh, yeah? How'd you do that? Uh, what if your health goes south? And it costs a lot of money to care for you. What if you lose your job? What if, um, I don't know, what if there's a housing crash or something like that and your house is upside down, it's worth half the amount you paid for it? Can you envision any of these things, by the way? What if you lose your job? What if your company, uh, what if your retirement that you've saved your whole life, you're about ready to retire and then some, somehow that retirement, whoever's in charge of that retirement doesn't do their job and that money's gone. What if you're depending on uh, the state or the federal government and they run out of money? What happens then? Could happen, right? Riches are uncertain. You say, well, you know, I got so much, you know, I've, I've saved hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. What if inflation hits and your hundreds of thousands of dollars turn into a couple of thousand? You know, you say, oh, that could never happen. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it can't ever happen. Have you ever heard of a country that that's happened to? Lots of them. Lots of them. Many different times. Riches are uncertain. Riches are uncertain. And because riches are uncertain, whether they'll be there or, or whether they will matter or whether they, they will be worth it, any of those, that's uncertain. And because they're uncertain, we should hope in God. Don't set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us Everything to enjoy. Did you see the word provide in there? We already talked about that, didn't didn't we? He's the one who provides for us that we might enjoy this life. He's the if we enjoy, he provided for us. He was kind to us. We need to remember that that our, our hope is not found in our finances, but it is found in God. Next slide, please. God is generous to us. Put your finger right in uh First Timothy six, and I want you to turn over to Ephesians chapter two. Has anyone ever been cheap with you? They owed you something, and and they they paid you back in such a way where they didn't they, they just were stingy with you, or or you asked them for a favor, or you needed their kindness, and they were like. How can I give you the bare minimum? Or maybe there, it's that feeling like they, they, they always are holding back from you. I want to tell you that there's nothing about God like that. Nothing. If you look in Ephesians chapter 2, it starts off in verse 1, that you're dead. And sometimes we ask the question, well, how dead was I? Dead, dead. Okay. No hope. Then we look at verse 4, and it says this, But God, being rich in mercy, 
God first being rich in mercy. Uh, that's what it tells us about him. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, in case you forgot from verse 1, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen to this, verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness Towards us in Christ Jesus. God has not just made us alive. But that his plan. Him being rich. Is that his plan that he would love us in such a way in Christ Jesus. That forever. Forever he would be explaining to us for eternity. How rich we are in Jesus. How much he has blessed us. And, and this is taking forever to explain to, to us. This is his plan. It's as if uh, we have got an inheritance and he says, let me show you what is yours. And he just keeps wandering through these riches. Oh, that's yours. That's yours. That's yours. That's yours. You may not know this, but that's also yours. And this over here, this is much better than you're looking at it, but you, you don't get, let me explain to you how great this. And, and this is what God is doing for us. He's generous with us. He hasn't given us a little bit of life, but he has taken us from being dead to being alive in Christ. And it also tells us in the Gospels that this life is abundant life. It's not cheap life. It's not small. God is generous with us. I told you to keep your finger in First Timothy chapter 6. And uh, Paul shares with uh, Timothy what it is to be rich in the present age. But then in verse 18, 1 Timothy 6 verse 18 this is what we're supposed to do instead, okay? As we put our hope in God, they are to do good, to be rich in good works. Rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What he says is as... I have been generous with you as I have provided for you in salvation and given you life that's amazing and abundant and will be explained the riches forever. He says, as I have been generous with you, I have given to you so that you would be rich in good works, that you would be generous. This is what God has done for us. This is how he has set this up. This is what we are to be because God is generous to us. We should be the ones who are generous. So often the reason that we are not generous is because we're clinging to stuff that has wings that will fly. We want the uncertainty of riches rather than uh, seeing God provide again and again and again. As he has provided to us, as he has been generous to us. Next slide, please. When it comes to finances, it's important for us to see that Bear Valley Church is not is a family, not a business. A family, not a business. Um, 
This is so important for us to remember. Because if we don't remember this, we will be totally discouraged. Totally discouraged. And you say, well, why? Um, one of the staff guys here, uh, we, we were talking this week. We got our W-2 forms. Do you know what those are? Most of you do who are adults. Kids, they're these, they're these things. There's these pieces of paper that tell us all the money we made this last year. And we were laughing at these pieces of paper. And you say, why were you laughing? We were going, where is it all? If I made all that money, where did it go? You, you know, I, and you say, well, you don't know where it went? Yeah, I know where it went. We ate it. We slept in it. We put it in our tanks. Right? And you say, well, you're still not making any sense. Let me explain to you what a business is. A business is in the business of making money. Okay? And there's a phrase in business. This is a, a, a business class for you all. Uh, it takes money to make money. Okay? And so the idea of a business is you spend money so that you'll make money. And it goes like this. If it were $100, if it were $100, you say, I will spend $100 so I will make 20 And you say, well, how's it go? it's simple. $100 goes out, $120 comes in. It's a profitable business. It's good. Apply that to your family. You spent money, and at the end of the year, uh, maybe you got 10 to 20% more money than you had that you made all that year. No, you hope you save some of it, but it's gone. If you were a business, you would be losing money. You would be bleeding out like, like it just wouldn't make sense for your business to continue. Same as the church. It's the exact same thing as the church. We, we're, we haven't spent any money that we don't have that God hasn't entrusted to us. But we've spent the money that God has brought in the last three years. And you say, oh, that's a bad business. Yeah, it is. But it's a great family. It's a great family. Um, let, me, uh, let me just share with you. I want you to see this. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, uh, after what we already looked at, um, I, I want you to see this. God hasn't given us a business model, okay? As he, he shared with us, as He gave to us, as He was generous with us. In verse 19, it says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. Members of the household of God. Um, what are you doing in your family? Well, uh, you're taking care of your family, right? You're trying to keep them healthy. You're feeding them so they don't go hungry. You're, you're wasting all that money on food so that they would eat, right? Especially for your kids that they might grow. Why are you spending money on one another while well, you're keeping your marriage together? You, you're, you're protecting your family because this is what God calls us to do. And even if all that money goes bye-bye, you realize your investment was not made to gain more dollars back, but it was investing in the people 
that God has brought you to be family with. It's the same thing here. If you, if you take a model, a business model on a church, and you ask the question, return on investment, it's a horrible deal. It doesn't work. But if you look at it as a family, as God has made it a family, you see that God is building his people And some have said, and this is true, that the return on the investment is not in more dollars, but it's that which is eternal. And that's true as well. So as we look at this, remember that God's church is a family, not a business. And your family is a family too, so don't worry about spending all that money. It's an investment in the people that you're with. Number six, next slide, please. Stewardship is about spending God's money. Stewardship is about spending God's money. And I just want to, you can look at it in Matthew chapter 5. I'm just going to summarize it. There's a a parable that Jesus brought, and he meant to make an eternal point. And in Matthew chapter 25, he talks about a, a, a master going away, and he entrusts them with talents, which are a form of money. And he entrusts the three different servants with these talents. And he says, here, I'm going to go away, take care of my money while I'm gone. And there's a picture of this is what God does for us. This is the picture of a steward. And we pick up, I'll read to you in verse 23, he says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enjoy Enter into the joy of the master. Verse 24. He who received one talent, this is the last guy. He who received one talent uh, came forward saying, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seeds. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with bankers. And, and at my coming, I should have received what my own interest own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents for to everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You get this picture of a, a steward where the the master gave away his money and he said, this is my money, take care of it. But he didn't give it away. He called on them to invest or to spend it, to spend it. And the one thought he had a great idea. He says, I don't know what to do with this. I'll just dig a hole and bury it. And at least I can give him that back. This is not... God's intention. And what stands out to me about that is stewardship requires spending. It's an investment. It's interesting to me, if you look over at Titus chapter one, it's referring to elders. And he says, elders as God's stewards, as God's stewards. And so I want you to get this picture that to be a good steward You must spend, but how it's spent matters. Let me ask you a question, and don't say this out loud or we'll look at you, okay? 
Don't answer out loud. And this is going to make some people nervous because I'm talking about them. Do you think the elders of Bear Valley Church are good stewards? Don't answer out loud. But I want you to think about that. Do you think they are good stewards? I have a second question. This isn't a quiz or anything, but I want you to get get an answer in your mind for the first one. The second steward, I want uh, the second question I want to ask you is this: Are you a good steward? Are you a good steward? Over what God's entrusted to you, are you a good steward? I'll give you the answer to uh, to these two questions. The first answer is this: No. Are the elders of Bear Valley Church good stewards? No. Um, as we have uh, looked over the finances over and over and over again, we can find places where we have wasted money. <laughs> wasted money. Let me give you an example. Uh, a couple years ago, um, we were looking over our finances, and we were spending $10,000 a year on our computer systems here. $10,000 a year. I barely can get my own PowerPoint to work, okay? We didn't need $10,000 worth of computers. It's a waste of money. Bad stewardship. Uh, we don't spend $10,000 anymore, and that's a step. That's an adjustment, okay? But there's, also, there's always areas, right? There's always things that we look at and we go, oh, things have changed. It's not a good use of God's money. Oh, God. Let me, let me answer the second question for you about yourself. No, you're not good stewards. And you say, how dare you say that about me? Oh, I'm sorry. Was I wrong? Uh, once you lay out all your finances before me, I'll come over to your house and inspect your stuff. There's going to be a sign-up sheet out in the uh, lobby afterwards. You can make an appointment so I can do that. You know what? Uh, there are areas in your life, there are things that you are wasting money. You're being a bad steward. And you're saying, Kevin, why are you bringing this up? Why are you talking this way? Because it's true. It's true. And, and, and the issue for the elders, whether it be the spending of Bear Valley Church or you at home, these are all God's things. And we're called to give an account to him for these things. About spending about spending. I, I want to say uh, how this works um, for the elders, and you can apply this to your home. We're trying. We're trying. We we haggle and hassle and stress, and we look at these budgets and we go, oh, I don't know. We don't know what to do. We we uh, we look at things and we see things that are wrong, and we go, oh, that's terrible. We repent. We change. Oh, let's never do that again. Let's never do that again. And then we cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, help us. Help us to take care of your stuff. Help us to be good stewards. When we, we're not good stewards, we make mistakes. We, we need to make adjustments all the time. We need to rethink things and see if this is what God wants. What, why? Because it's his, right? We're constantly asking the question, is this what you want for your church? It's not an issue of uh, whether it's needed or whether everyone likes it or whether we think it's smart, but is this what you want for your church? 
That's what stewardship is. And it requires faith of walking with God. It's not being smart. It's not being smart. I was thinking about finances and um, finances. Uh, we like to say finances because it makes it sound really important. Any third grader can do finances, right? Why? Because it's plus and minus, right? It's just addition and subtraction. It, it, it's not brain surgery to, to add. In fact, if you, if you know how to work Excel, it'll do the math for you, right? But I want to tell you the idea of being a steward, it means walking with God. It means asking him, is this what you want? It's, it's constantly going back and forth with him. As the elders, we are uh, fumbling around trying, adjusting, repenting, and crying out to the Lord. That's what we do. And I'd encourage you to do that at home as well. Last point. Last slide. Uh, grace, uh, grace-driven free will giving is God's method. How, how does the government get money? You know? Some of you kids don't know. It's real simple. They just take it from you. They send you a bill and they take it. And if you have too much, they'll take it away from you. That's simple. That's taxes 101. Um, there's other ways to raise money. Did you know what it is? How about guilt? Make you feel bad. Make you feel like you can't do anything else. And you're like, oh, I hate doing this, but I feel guilty. So maybe this will relieve my guilt for a little while. That is not God's method. It's not God's method. In fact, uh, I'll tell you a story while you're turning over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, Jesus was meeting with some people and a woman came into uh, his meeting area with these men and um, she took a very expensive uh, perfume and she poured it over him and she wept and she she shared her love for Jesus. And everyone was confused about the story. And this is what Jesus, uh, how he summarizes uh, this in verse... In Luke chapter 7, you turn, stay in Second Corinthians. I'll, we'll get there real quick. But he says, Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but uh, from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. There's a connection between our giving, our our generosity, with how much we've been forgiven. How much we understand the gospel. How much, the pile of sins that we know that he has covered. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says this, starting at verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, 
you may abound in every good work. Point being, out of what God has done in you and in relationship with him, decide what you're to give and do it cheerfully, knowing that he has forgiven you much. He's forgiven you much. He's been generous with you. And this is how God calls us to give and how he calls us to work with him. God is providing for his church. God is providing for your family. He always will as we trust him. He calls us to be stewards, to be adjusting and repenting and crying out to him for more wisdom as we seek to do his work here in this, in this life. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Uh, God, I ask that you would help us to sort this out in our own hearts. Help us to humbly walk with you. So often we feel that money makes us powerful. And yet, uh, God, we're just as dependent whether we have any money in our pocket or a, a pocket full. God, thank you for this morning. Do your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.